Welcome to the ECDEV Network. My name is Dan Taylor and I am a co-host with Bob Minhas and Lara Fritz. And today is our first overseas clubhouse call. We're very excited about it. We've got a special guest, Adam <coughs> Jeffrey, who we will meet in a moment. Uh, I'm the economic development catalyst for the town of Innisfil. And I'm also a youth as it relates to our friends overseas. So, you know, our hope here in the ECDEV room is to facilitate conversations, to essentially create opportunities to R&D, which we all know is rob and duplicate, and to learn from best practices from everyone uh, that joins us here in the room. Now, I did neglect to put it in the title, but just so you know, this session is being recorded. We do re-leverage what we hear and learn here. Uh, as a podcast for those who can't uh, attend in the future. And for our friends in the audience, if you have a question, you will see a hand icon. If you press that, that'll raise your hand. And myself, Dan, Adam can bring you up on the stage uh, to participate in the conversation. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to Lara just to briefly introduce yourself, uh, herself as part of the team here. Thank you so much, Bob. I'm Lara Fritz and I am a community vitality champion, currently an economic development consultant with a company called Aspira USA, where we assist companies in um, primarily women and BIPOC entrepreneurs in starting their business and helping it grow. Um, with that, I am thrilled to be here today. And thank you so much, Adam, for taking the time to share your experiences in the UK uh, around workforce development. Thank you. Thank you, Lara. And before I turn it over to Adam, Dan, I know you briefly started, but I don't, uh, I think you did. I think I covered it off, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Now with that, Adam, I'd love to invite you to share all of the amazing uh, knowledge that you're bringing here today. So maybe we can start, Adam, with a brief introduction into uh, what does the workforce development landscape look like in the UK? Do you mind if we start there? Hi. Um, hello, everybody. Well, good, good afternoon from a sunny England. Good good morning, I think, to most of you who are on the call at the moment. Um, yeah, thanks for the introduction. Thanks very much to everyone for uh, inviting me on to this session. Um, the, the, the topic I want to cover is uh, workforce development in its, in its kind of broadest sense, but I do want to probably focus a little bit more on issues, not exclusively, but some issues around sort of young people and helping um, young people through onto their sort of first steps into the, the world of work and, and what those steps might entail and how they can be supported. So I'm, I'm here to give you, um, I'll try and <laughs> impart some of my knowledge from a UK perspective. I do have quite a few links with uh, the US and Canada and elsewhere. I'll just give a, if it's okay, Bob, I'll just give a very, very short run through of basically who I am. Because okay, um, yeah, uh, just to introduce myself, uh, just a very quick library in terms of my background. But yeah, so I'm based in um, the closest big city to me is, uh, is Nottingham, which is probably most famous for its associations with Robin Hood. But it's in the, uh, the East Midlands area or region of, of the UK, of England, um, and I've basically been working in economic development arena for, crikey, it's 34 years now, so uh, <laughs> it's quite quite some time. Um, nine years of that was working in public sector roles, so I've worked for three different um, economic development agencies as such in local government or sort of civic governments uh, working at Nottingham City Council. I've worked in the UK civil service on uh, an urban region, a major urban regeneration program back in the 90s. 
and also for an urban regeneration partnership um, following on from that. But for the last 20 years, I've been running my own um, economic development research and evaluation consultancy company, mainly doing work for um, local, again, uh, the, the types of organizations I used to work for really. So government, local government, economic development partnerships, but also for universities and quite a few nonprofits as well. My links into all of this um, is really, really comes about, I guess, four years ago, um, I started looking into, I mm -hmm. guess, what kind of um, links there may be between sort of the UK, I was particularly interested in, in the US and Canada, and building some links on the economic development side of the work I did. And in a roundabout way, I got talking to somebody who was on the International Economic Development Council's committee, a, a, a committee member, who suggested I take a, a, a big step forward and sign up to join IEDC and come to Toronto, um, which was in, I think it was September 2017, when IEDC held its annual conference there. So I did, I got on a plane, came over, didn't know anyone there, <laughs> made some uh, great um, uh, relationships, uh, I think, with some people that I met there over the four or five days, and also got a, a guest speaker slot in the final day mm -hmm. as well. Um, but since then, I've been also involved with their International Advisory Committee uh, for the last three years. And I'm one of the very rare Brits, I think, who's a member of the IEDC out of the, um, I don't know how many members there are. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge number, but I think there's only 20 of us based in the UK. So I work, well, I'm going to talk about workforce development issues. I'm very happy to take any questions from people as we go along here. Um, but also I want to look really at, I guess, kind of like what support measures are in place to help people outside of the formal education system mm -hmm. um, in terms of sort of their career options in terms of meeting the needs of employers and so on so that's one issue I also want to look at how employers are engaged in sort of workforce development um, sort of strategic development really in terms of planning at a local level um, I'm going to talk a bit about young people and the jobs market and finally I wanted to focus on something I've been doing a lot of work on in recent years, which is uh, evaluating a number of projects and programs we've got here, which have helped. I, there's no easy way to sort of phrase this, but people are, I guess, on the margins of um, the labor market. People are a long way from being even job ready, and they are facing a multi multiple uh, number of perhaps barriers and challenges to finding work. And there's been some really good um, programs that we've had over here in terms of trying to address that. So I'm gonna to touch upon that. And, and as I say, any questions you have as we go along, please feel free to chip in. Is that okay for the blog guys? Is everyone on board? Yeah, yeah. that sounds great, Adam. Um, I have a, a contextual question to ask you yeah. <clears throat> uh, that I, I believe is quite related to our topic. So. Recently, workforce development, talent, talent attraction, retention, uh, training has has been quite a topic on our on our, our uh, clubhouse. And I'm wondering if you could give us some context in the UK or even beyond UK and Europe. What is the workforce scenario? So what I'm hearing here in North America, um, and I'm going to say COVID is adding to it, but I think it's beyond COVID, is that there's actually a talent shortage 
um, and it's skilled talent shortage, like broad, like white collar trades, etc. And I'm just wondering if you could share the context in the UK as part of your discussion, if, if that makes sense and if that fits. Thank you. I'm done speaking. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, it's been, um, I'd say, well, so we, 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 we also have, we share a language and we also have, <laughs> we have language barriers, I think, don't we? Because uh, I'm very mindful that I try not to use too much of jargon or go into too many UK-based programs to confuse people. I want to keep things at a sort of fairly plain English generic level. But um, so workforce development, for instance, isn't a phrase actually that we, it's being increasingly used. We tend to use things like employability and skills plans, um, skills and training kind of strategies and so on. But it's, it, it amounts to the same thing. That kind of that topic has been, um, I'd say, quite a hot topic for quite some time, really. Um, and we, well, I was, some of the context I was going to give you was that sort of prior mm -hmm. to COVID-19 sort of kicking in, uh, we had in the UK our unemployment rate down to, I think it's about 3.8, 3.9%, which was the lowest it had been since the early 1970s. And we also had a very high employability rate. So the number of people who were of an age and eligible to work was at its probably at its highest level. Um, and obviously, sort of since that, well, there's a couple of things obviously affecting us. Since then, we've gone through uh, a Brexit process, um, which I'll come back to briefly, but also the COVID situation. Um, and unemployment rates gone up, probably not as much as people feared at the moment. It's at 4.8% at the moment. Um, but we do have um, some skill shortage issues, which is kind of like the main point I think you're getting across. That that issue has been ongoing. I think the big question mark we've got is that we've had, and I, I <laughs> I'll, I'll say this how I how I take it. I think we, we've had a pretty generous government support package in place throughout um, throughout the COVID period for what last 16, 17, 18 months now, which has supported. Um, in people of an employee status, um, as well as some people who uh, are self-employed too, but it's basically paid out um, up to about 80% of their salary to basically to, to, to keep them with their employer, even though they weren't able to fulfill the work because, you know, obviously our COVID restriction rules, although they are easing up, um, put a lot of businesses into a position where they, they couldn't open for business. So I think that maybe in a few months time that might really kick in because when that program comes to an end i think our unemployment rate it may go on we, we feared it would go on a really sharp uh, increase i think that may be a bit less than we think because we've also to say we've got a lot of job vacancies uh, floating around in our labor market at the moment and added to that uh, as i say with the brexit situation is that um it's easy to make generalizations about this. I think one of the big fears was that we would lose a lot of EU citizens who came to the UK, particularly ones who do seasonal work. So working in the agricultural sectors and also in the hospitality sectors. And hospitality has obviously had a really big hit. Um, but hospitality is starting to reopen its doors and is looking for, for new workers. But we've probably got less of a pool of labour that we would have been sort of, shall we say, a smaller pond to fish in and employers have than they had before. And that's definitely true in agriculture as well. So 
in a way, it's really pushing things back to employers to work with state partners and so on uh, and at local levels to try and address those skill shortage issues. But as I say, if we talk about this three, four months down the line, there may be more people looking for work than we've got right now. So um, the issues may change. It's a very long-winded way of saying we've probably got quite, I think there'll probably be some fairly similar issues and skills at all levels really, at entry level skills, fairly unskilled level uh, kind of jobs as well, but also at the higher level skills. There are some vacancies, there are opportunities, and how we best address meeting those is, uh, is a big hot topic, but has been for some time. Does that help you, Dan? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Go ahead. Okay. Well, just uh, as I say, I mean, in a way that, that nicely flows into, I was just going to give you, as I say, I don't want to overcomplicate this, but a little bit of, I guess, a background to our sort of skills, employment, workforce development kind of scenario uh, in the UK. Um, like you, I'm sure, I mean, we've, we've obviously, and I'm not going to go into any details about these at all, but we've obviously got a formal education system, certain different levels of education because of different things, but in, in essence, we've got schools which go through to the age of 16 or to 18. We have colleges, which tend to be for sort of 16 to 18 year olds, um, but also for adult skills training as well. And then obviously we have the tertiary sector or universities, quite an extensive network of universities across the UK. Um, I, the only reason I'm mentioning that is obviously because they exist and they have a key role to play uh, in the whole sort of um, the whole workforce development scenario. I kind of want to touch on one issue though, which is that is really around careers advice. And we'll, I'll come back onto this again, but I think we're, we're in a scenario where we're getting a lot better at it. But I think um, the onus being on sort of formal education providers to help their, their students um, gain access to up-to-date, good quality careers, guidance and information, it's, re it's been really quite patchy. Um, and as I say, we, we are getting better at it. We're linking it a lot more with directly with employers' needs and putting in place, um, well, there are certain things I'll, I'll talk about in a moment um, about how we're doing that. But it's really just a sort of, that, that link between the formal education sector and the world of work in terms of how to organize particularly young people through what the options are, what the opportunities are gonna be, what skills they might need, what's available on their doorstep and what isn't. Um, and putting in place sort of personal action plans to meet that is something that we're definitely getting better at, but really is an area where I guess, you know, for the topic here in terms of where the economic development uh, community can come in is definitely something w which plays to the strengths, I think, of those with an economic development kind of background. Um, two key government departments, and this is where things will differ. <laughs> Again, try not to overcomplicate it. We have two main and this will be, this is at state level, sorry, this is at federal level. So our UK government has two departments with responsibility around this. We have Department for Education, which is kind of, you know, the, the, the name's on the tin, I guess, in terms of what that's about. Um, but they are, they are important beyond the education system in terms of being a provider of um, information, advice and guidance to people actually from the age of 13 upwards uh, through an something called the National Career Service, which people can access. They're also very big on promoting um, 
And this is sort of government-backed scheme, but apprenticeships, which have become much more, um, uh, there's been a m much stronger push towards apprenticeships over the last sort of five to, I say five to seven years than there has been previously. And also something we've introduced called T levels, and all that T means is technical. But we're, I think we're acutely aware as, as a country that we've, we've really pushed uh, universities. The university sector probably takes now about 50%, I think, of school leavers go into our, go into the, the university system. Um, one thing that's probably suffered a little bit as a result of that is a focus. The focus has been a bit away from sort of technical, not just manual skills, but technical skills and playing to the strengths of perhaps our sort of local kind of community colleges and and things like that. So it's quite a push to sort of change that balance a bit, if that makes sense. The other department is called the Department for Work and Pensions. They're really important in uh, in two respects, really. They are they're the place you go if you're on uh, benefits or, or welfare, I think you might call it, um, and you physically have to go in there to, to sign on, <laughs> and you'll get questions about, obviously, your circumstances, um, and you, I don't know how regular it used to be, you have to go in every two weeks, but that is also the place you go into something called a job centre. So there's a network of job centres. Um, you might have things called career centres, but it's a physical hub, and we have a number of these dotted across the country where you go in. Traditionally a place where you would look for, certainly in pre-internet days, one of the key places you'd go to see what jobs were being advertised and um, you would from that be able to make contact with employers and so on. Obviously in internet, uh, in, the, in the day we're in now, a lot of people will, will use that but if you are claiming welfare you do also need to go in quite regularly and you'll be asked what jobs you have applied for, have you got your resume up to date? Um, you, you need to be seen to be active in your job search, I guess. So, but they're a very key part of the network, are our job centres. The other little strand to this um, is something called the Careers and Enterprise Company, which has been running for about five or six years. And this, this is something which really um, comes back to that point I made about that patchy careers advice uh, for young people in, in schools and and also in, in colleges and so on but this is I think has been a real benefit and, and will grow um, as time goes on but it's it's basically a government supported uh, setup it's got a national network involved and through that they engage with um, employers including private sector employers to basically work alongside work to work with schools to a whole array of different kind of options are available to employers to engage with young people to provide you know careers talks to uh, act as mentors to young people to act as mentors actually to careers teachers in schools um, and that's something I think that will grow over time so um, that kind of sets the scene but I think the key the key bit for economic development is that for the last 10 years what we've had in place is a model which um, whereby the economic development partners all come together I say all I'm being I'm being ambitious but this is the plan they, they've um, they, there's basically a model approach where we have a network of local enterprise partnerships dotted across this only applies to England it doesn't apply to Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland but um, there's 38 mm -hmm of these partnerships across England. So they're kind of operating at a metro level or metro plus level with their hinterland or at a county level. The key thing here is it's they're set up to be business led. 
So it's the, they involve employers, they involve their local council, so civic leadership is, is uh, engaged at that level, universities, um, skills and training providers, other public sector agencies, and also some non-profits too. But they are, if you like, the key partnership at a local level where things get decided, where plans get made, and, um, and within that, employment and skills or workforce development issues is obviously quite a central part of what they do. They also um, are, at the moment anyway, they're quite, uh, they're the place where the money's at. <laughs> so, um, and I'll, I won't bore you to tears without, because funding, I'm sure it's very complicated in, in every country, and every, everyone does things differently. A lot of our economic development activity, I would say, is taxpayer funded, either directly through uh, the UK government to various initiatives and through to local enterprise partnerships. Um, obviously, up until now, although we've still got the tail end of it, we are benefiting from some money from the European Union. Um, obviously, some people would argue that we paid into it and we were a net contribu contributor to the European Union's budget. Um, but also we got something back and a lot of that money went on training and skills type activities. And another thing we also get money from is we have a national lottery program and uh, about a third of the money that people buy uh, from their tickets, this has been running about 25 years I think, about a third of that money goes to good causes and a big chunk of that goes to initiatives to help people, I guess really sort of like on the margins of society, issues around mental health, loneliness, um, people who are really struggling around a range of issues and quite a bit of that money has been packaged together with other sort of employment and skills money um, to, to, to try and address issues uh, particularly for those a long way from the labour market. I'm going to pause there for a minute just to take a swig of uh, a cup of tea <laughs> but also to let anyone come in and, um, and ask any questions. Adam, that's been, that's fantastic. That's an amazing, amazing insight to share with us. Is, about. This, making, is this making sense? <laughs> yes, yes, no, absolutely. It's wonderful. Perfect timing. I'm trying to keep it generic. Yeah. No, it's great. Uh, it's perfect timing for that. Team. What I'd love to do is, if you don't mind, uh, I'd love to ask a couple of questions. I know Dan, myself, and Lara for to learn more about the economy overseas. But first, I want to pose it out there to the audience. Ebony Clark and Harumi, welcome to the room. If you have any questions, please feel free to use the hand icon over the notepad on the bottom, and that'll allow myself, Dan, or Lara to bring you on stage to participate in the conversation. Um, but I think, Adam, my first question is when I hear all that, um, and, and I just want to make sure that it's something we haven't covered or haven't been clear on, is when we think about the value or benefit of in-person support versus only online support, can you talk about that distinction coming from a post-COVID world? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. I think, um, well, what, one point I, I forgot to make in um, in my presentation so far to you is that I'm obviously sort of, there's, there's people who will, how, how can I phrase this? People, there are people who will find their way in the jobs market, either through um, their own um, sort of, you know, their own attitude, their own abilities, perhaps through sort of family support, maybe if you like a sort of light touch connections or advice and support that they may need. So I'm kind of like, in terms of what I, that's great. <laughs> um, but I think what I wanted to sort of focus on was parts of the system that are designed to help people who need a bit more support and some who need a lot more support. So kind of really where the economic developers of this world and if you like where we can intervene but in a constructive positive way. And so I think 
I'm, I'm prompted by this online in-person sort of question, really, because some people can, are absolutely fine. I mean, obviously, the jobs market, certainly here, and I'm sure wh wherever wherever you are, is very much um, now centered around uh, websites, web portals, social media, um, the days of, uh, there obviously are, are still sort of jobs that are, are out there that are, are word of mouth, there are, and, and are not advertised at all. But as I say, sort of pre-internet days, most people would go to places like a physical place, job centre, where they look in their physical newspaper for uh, job vacancies, um, and they would submit their resume, or a, a, they probably write in handwriting a covering letter. So obviously with things moving much more online, that's great and people have access to a lot more information and probably a lot more opportunities than before i think though in terms of advice and support there are people no doubt and i think quite a big proportion i couldn't put a number on it who but who really benefit and it may just be from you know an hour or two hours of perhaps um one-to-one -one kind of advice and support over two three four week kind of period to help them through that process to help someone sit down with them and develop their resume to help look at their interview techniques for instance or to even sit with some people you know looking at jobs that are advertised online but they're not particularly there are it sounds ageist but i'm of that age too but perhaps people who've been in a career for 20 30 years have been made redundant they're not particularly digitally savvy shall we say and the world of job adverts being um, put completely online is something that scares them and they need a bit more help and somebody who can actually sit with them maybe in their local library or some kind of um, community center or a job center and talk them through that and help them I think that you know I, I put a lot and the COVID's COVID's really sort of hit home I think hasn't with all of us that things like sort of um, the digital world can be great and it's opened up loads of opportunities but I think I'm certainly of the view, and I think a lot of people I deal with on the work front and in a personal life have missed the personal contact. And there's, there's kind of like, particularly if you've got people who have had poor experiences of gaining support, perhaps from their local job center, if they were bullied at school, if they got a really bad kind of um, experience from this sort of formal education kind of system, that it takes time to build up rapport and a relationship with someone, I think, if, you, if you're the person who's offering that support to help yeah. them back into work. So, yeah, yeah. I'm big, big thumbs up to personal support in person. You know, it's not necessary for everybody, but there are people who I would say definitely need it. You're so right, Adam. I, I, I just wanted to interject because I know that, as you know, birth communities, I've sure. done some with youth at risk. And one of the ways we now define at risk is uh, those that live in rural communities that don't have access to the internet and need that uh, sort of in-person uh, opportunity to find employment opportunities or to find skill set development. So, so I think that's really, really important. So yeah. then, so I think I think the question I want to go into really quick before I reset the room, Adam, is when we talk about um, what uh, so, sort of the distinction between virtual and live. Um, let's talk about employers and understand how can employers engage in planning a skill development program, whether they're virtual or live as well, uh, or even supporting workforce development activities, and you know, especially when we think about nonprofits. I know it's a big question, but you know, I just want you to dissect it as best you can, if that's okay. No, that, that's great, Bob. Well, I, 
as I say, sort of at a, at a formal, I'm trying to sort of apply this so it's, it's something that can be done whichever country you're in, basically. But I, th I just touching back onto the UK scenario, and I mentioned these local enterprise partnerships where employers, they were set up by with government guidance um, to be employer led, to engage the private sector. Um, and to have basically, you know, the private sector and the public sector and the community or non-profit sector all kind of, this, this all sounds like mother and apple pie, doesn't it? It's kind of all working together in terms of looking at the local needs of a community, the local economic needs, the labour market needs, and looking at where the gaps are, where the priorities should be, and coming up with plans to address that. And in theory, that is what they're there to do. And as I say, with local enterprise partnerships, they all have this um, sort of the, the focus on workforce comes through something called a skills advisory panel. But I would say that that's great. That goes so far. My experience of stuff like that is it tend, you tend to pick up. I mean, this, this is probably the inevitable, isn't it? But you tend to pick up on the bigger employers who have, uh, shall we say, the, the teams. They have the, the scale of teams they have human resource departments that um can allocate if you like so they have the capacity to engage in uh, a kind of a, a structure which ha is going to require you know sort of fairly regular meetings um you're going to be called upon to get involved in that i think that there's something um if there's a little bit of a missing link in the chain it's about how we engage with small and really small businesses as down to the point you know like a business like myself i'm a sole proprietor business i do a quite a lot of um active uh sort of free or pro bono work for for non-profits um i've also given my time to various um initiatives you know sort of because i I'm interested in it and I, I'm trying to be a business who is responsible and does their bit for the community, if you like, without sounding too pompous. But I think there's something that we can do more of, which is to try and tap into that. But to do it, I think you need to make you need to make it as easy as possible for employers. And I don't want to make too many generalizations again, but I think it's very difficult to set up. Um, and sometimes the public sector, it can be great with systems and regularity of meetings and, and we can have subcommittees and, and all the rest of it. I think then if there's an expectation of inviting the private sector into that and for them to regularly attend and give up their time and it's not done in a particularly flexible way, I think that's where we end up losing people and losing people's interests. So I, I suppose in, in essence, I'm saying you need to work around the employer or, or particularly business owners um, commitments and that may be doing things a bit differently maybe having like you know breakfast time meetings it may be um, asking a business what is it they can do as opposed to we've got a project or program can you help um, which is great too but I think some of the stuff I've seen over here which has really engaged all, all different types of businesses is where the program is as flexible as it possibly can be. So you may, I'll just give you a for instance on, it may be that um, I spoke to a, on a program a couple of years ago, I spoke to a guy who runs a hotel on the south coast of England, and he was approached by a project which was all about helping young people into work in his community. And what he did was he, um, he basically gave a talk, I think it was about a 45 minute, one hour talk, to um, an invited audience of young people. He didn't have to sort all that out, but it's basically turn up, tell these young people what it's like, 
to run and work in a hotel and, and talk more widely also about the hospitality sector. So we did that. I think he had a room of 30 young people there. Some of them, he said, were completely disinterested, which is, you know, it's the way that the, the cookie crumbles sometimes. But he said some of them were really interesting. And from that, he's um, he's got some new uh, he got some new staff that came through from it, which he mentored and put through training programs and so on. But he just gave a little bit of time, um, I suppose, to, to give something back. Obviously, there was a business benefit, too, in that he was um, he was recruiting. But things like that, or a business opening up for an open day, or making a video, um, a sort of behind-the-scenes video about what's it like to work in this particular factory. Because sometimes, you know, people's perceptions of what goes on in the world of work, if you've not been in the world of work, can be very different, I think, to the reality of that, you know, the, the wide variety of skills that are often needed, even, say, in, um, you know, in a manufacturing factory, um, there may be a whole array of skills behind the scenes that people don't get to know about until they've gone into it. So I think if you can, as a small business, if you can do your bit to kind of like lend your time, maybe offer up, you know, sort of um, some work experience opportunities, um, some mentoring, go into schools to give a little bit of time to talk to people, uh, maybe do mock interviews, things like that. They, they all and careers fairs that we, we do over here too. So there's a whole manner of things that can all help and they all help people kind of get a bit of a feel for the world of work and the first steps on the ladder, hopefully. Amazing, amazing. And that was actually gonna lead into my third question, but really quick, yeah. I just reset the room because I know a few folks join us. Welcome, Kurim. And, uh, uh, we just wanted to make sure that uh, everyone is here uh, enjoying the room as best they can. So you are in the ActiveNetwork Network Economic Development Club room. Today we're talking about workforce development youth as it relates to our friends overseas in the UK. Our featured speaker today is Adam Jeffrey, and he's sharing some amazing knowledge, but this is a Q&A panel. So anyone in the audience, if you have a question for Adam as it relates to how workforce development works in the UK in terms of what we can learn and quite frankly steal to do here in North America, just hit your hand <laughs> up at the icon on the bottom with a hand over the notepad. That'll raise your hand so that myself, Lara or Dan can bring you to the stage and allow you to sort of share in the conversation. Well, and you'll also see a plus button below. If you think this topic is of real interest to you or to even your colleagues, feel free to use it, invite some more friends into the room. Our goal is to really create community and chat because I'm sure Adam only has so much voice and we don't wanna maximize it or take advantage of it too much. So we'd love to hear from you guys, whether you have a question, whether you wanna contribute your knowledge to the workforce development discussion. So. On that note, Adam, I'd, uh, oh, and by the way, I do love to let our friends know the audience because I did forget to put it in the title. We are recording this session for uh, use for podcast for later. So just so you know, with um, Clubhouse rules, we do want to make sure you guys are aware of that as well. So with that, Adam, you started along down this path. So I kind of wanted to come back and ask the question so that we could sort of sort of make it pretty much a topic now. But you started talking about uh, presentations in schools by employers. So let's talk about young people in the job market. So from their perspective, uh, how does it work where you are when it comes to helping them with first steps, getting a foothold on the job ladder, anything around mentoring, which again, you started on. Do you mind talking about that and what works where you are? Sure, yeah. Well, as I say, that this is um, this is an area which I think is, is right for... Uh, for, for growing growing in scale and for doing more and i i won't bore you with my, my own personal stories beyond the fact that 
I can certainly remember in my days way back when I was in my at my school and we went through a, a careers kind of um, I wouldn't say session it was kind of like a questionnaire actually and you obviously sort of um, you answer questions in terms of like what your interests are and so on and I think I, well, I, what, my career's advice was that I was going to become a fashion photographer because I uh, because I had a real interest in photography and I had a real interest in um, clothes <laughs> so, as well as music and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but these are kind of like you know, algorithms are so much probably more sophisticated than they are these days. But um, I went on to do a geography degree and I got really interested in human geography and economic geography and ended up kind of really following that through i guess um and actually going back to my old university three years ago to give a uh, a career speech to um to some uh, graduates uh, some undergraduates at my old university in the drug department which i really enjoyed so um but on that topic i think my, my point really being that advice has moved on a lot and mine wasn't certainly wasn't the only kind of experience i think a lot of my uh, age cohort had similar experiences but at the university too i mean the careers advice wasn't that great um since then things have improved but we we have kind of like had a very mixed picture i, I think around um sort of careers advice and i think getting information to young people and obviously this this filters way back really because uh, by the time somebody is 16 or 18 at school they these are kind of like key leaving age points for for people in in uh, in english schools in particular um and knowing what you might want to do beyond that um as well as obviously uni the university option but it's kind of like who knows unless you have got access to quite a lot of information as i say i think We've got better at it. Um, what we've put in place, as I mentioned early on, was something called, it's called the Careers and Enterprise Company. Um, I'm not here to plug them. It's a, it's a government-supported uh, agency. But feel free to, if you put Careers Enterprise Company in England or UK in Google or uh, some um, uh, search engine, it'll come up and you can find out a bit more about it. But what it does is it's really making that, that direct link between employers in a locality and local schools and local colleges which i think is great i got approached by this by my my local one a year ago and i said i could give a little bit of time and so on um, obviously through the COVID situation um schools closed down for quite some time they're back up and running kind of <laughs> again at the moment but it was something I, I will get involved with and what they do is kind of offer up um and I suppose this is something to think about, really, but it's that point about being flexible, really, and work pushing kind of against open doors with employers, however small or large they may be, who are prepared to give a bit of time to, um, you know, to help young people um, gain an insight into the work that they do, the skills that they require, um, and just kind of and be really pragmatic about it, literally from, you know, opening the company, door, having an open day. At a company and inviting local school local school to come and see what they do or providing a member of staff who could perhaps mentor uh, team up with one or two individuals in a, or, or students and then act as their sort of occasional mentor um and impart some you know sort of some skills particularly around like the world of work and but i think that there's a wider there's a wider uh angle to this which is also about raising aspirations sometimes because i think 
and I've seen it on a lot of programs that I've got involved with that sometimes people they don't really know what the opportunities are on their doorstep until they'll have a little bit of a feel for for it but unless they've been really seeking things out um, they could do with a little bit more support and information to what is there and they're usually um, they'll find that there's actually quite a, an array of career options available to them that they wouldn't even cross their mind um, so I think the world of employers actively working if you like with the education system and um, which is which is very much what this careers and enterprise company is there to do and there have been other initiatives as well but I think that principle is one really to tap into and I think there's one other point I'll just make on this but my experience is that you can look at I think sometimes it's about finding out particularly for young people about what what uh, is going to be sort of on their radar in terms of what's the spark if you like that um, enthuses them um, and they may sort of think well I'd really like to do this particular type of work but I haven't got the skill set so I think employers tend to be less worried if you like about the the job specific or the technical skills that um, a young person currently has because they're probably more interested in somebody the softer skills the the job readiness the the attitude um, if you like the, the employability kind of skill set that someone brings to it I think can be as important as sometimes the, the technical skills they bring awesome Adam thank you that that's a that's a great sort of layout uh, which is which is wonderful uh, really quick if you don't mind I wanted to include Laura Laura and Dan in the discussion uh, maybe I'll start with Laura Laura did you have a question along uh, what Adam is sharing here today as well yeah I, I do Adam thanks again for joining us today and providing a broader perspective on workforce development. Um, on July 7th, we had a session with Jake Maxwell from Salt Lake City. Uh, Salt Lake City has a very low unemployment rate, uh, making it very challenging to find workers. Um, and one of the things that they did with a company out of Switzerland was to create apprenticeship programs. And we know okay. that this is really popular in Europe. So I'd love to get your thoughts, maybe top two, three things that a good apprenticeship program should entail. Wow. <laughs> now you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> no pressure. Um, that's great. Well, I guess um, the, the issue, I think, I'm trying, you know, sort of relaying it to what I know of the situation over here. As I, as I mentioned earlier, we, we've really pushed um, I think apprenticeships over here have been neglected for, for quite some time, really. Um, as I say, sort of t and technical skills have been um, sort of kind of seen as, um, I don't know, sort of uh, a little bit sort of not second rate, but less of a priority perhaps than some of the more the academic skills and the growth and expansion of universities. That is that that balance is is, is shifting a bit. And I think and there has been a big push on apprenticeships it becomes quite a and i don't want to overcomplicate this but so but we put in uk so uk taxpayers money is going into um a government agency which has responsibility for our apprenticeship program the world of skills education employment i have to say over here is complex enough and i, I think um and i'm it probably is too in, in the states and in canada um I, I think for employers, you need to make it in terms of you know, how to make these things work. You need to make it as simple as possible to the employer in terms of 
how they can get involved with it. Because I think employers often, they are looking for people, they are looking for talent. Um, but I think if that little bit of support, if you like, to, to oil the wheels of that relationship with um, with an apprentice can be done and facilitated potentially financially, but probably beyond that, actually, just in terms of helping. And this is where like economic developers can, can have that kind of role, I think, in terms of trying to do, I guess, sort of smooth out all of the, the terms and conditions that perhaps come with the system in place. I think if you've got a, an employer who's looking for staff, you've got some people who are, are looking for work and with our apprenticeships we it's kind of like you know you're learning on the job but i think um they also get given one day a week to if you like to have that college-based or classroom-based and it could be out obviously i say classroom but sort of the, that more formal training that comes with it so they can become accredited over a period of time but the beauty of it is obviously for the the young person or it doesn't have to be a young person but somebody on that apprenticeship is, is obviously looking for a longer term future with that employer so um, I don't know if that answers your question Laura I think it's it's just trying to make the system as smooth as possible I think if there's anything that you can anything that can be done that kind of acts as a brokerage kind of service between the employer and if you like the labor supplies like the pool of labor or potential labor and making those kind of links to um, to ease that process then so much the better great that's really helpful. Thank you, Adam. Yes, Adam, that was a great, great question, Lara. I, we have a guest that's joined us on stage. I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Is it Karam? Uh, Karam, did you want to participate in the discussion or ask a question? Hi, hi, guys. Thank you so much for uh, doing this session and letting me have the opportunity to uh, speak. And I would like to. Uh, uh, I don't have a question, but uh, because I am actively involved in economic development, I would like to add two points to what Adam was saying. Uh, one, keeping in mind the insights of the young people that are getting into the workforce. Uh, I call it gamification. So economic departments have to think how they think, which is they are Snapchat users, they are TikTok users. You have to think and in, in literally wear the hats they wear, which means gamifying the process of getting into the workforce. Uh, and that could very simply mean, uh, you know, working, uh, especially in that apprenticeship program, uh, dividing it into different levels where it is incentivized for them to, uh, you know, complete different tasks so they are not bored. They're not un inundated with in information. And then obviously the weight of now becoming part of the workforce, which is going to stick with them forever, uh, becomes, you know, from the get go becomes uh, heavy on them. So that is one. And I feel uh, using uh, initial training, even on uh, basic soft skills, is highly needed i do that all the time i mentor youth uh even on the simplest uh things like r resume writing uh that is something that i feel uh is again missing uh because i've seen a lot of resumes and there are tons of mistakes when you see that they are applying for jobs but the resume does not speak of their skills so i think having sessions with the I mean, from you guys and kind of developing a strategy to gamify 
the process of coming into the workforce would really, really add value and make it fun, fun for them. So I just wanted to add that part. Karam, that's a really, really great point, Adam. Uh, and I'd love maybe you to comment on it. And maybe, of course, Lara and Dan, because they, of course, for their community, they deal with this as well. But, you know, we asked the question earlier about students um, finding a foothold in the job market. But I don't know that we asked the question of, um, and we sort of answered it, but Aram, do you see a trend of employers creating a more accessible job application process? I don't know if that's the right way to ask it, Adam, but Karam's made some great points about how the youth of today communicate online sure yeah he, he has uh, thank you karam that, that that's really really on the money kind of comment i think you you've made there i i would relate to this, there's two things i'm going to mention actually one is um again sort of really from my own work experience here but um i've um come across there's an organization uh, not too 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 far from me which was involved in one of our sort of um helping young people into work programs that was one partly funded by um well actually no it's totally funded by uh, our national lottery program and they are very much geared around that that kind of helping employers if you like make job adverts uh, the recruitment process more accessible to young people um of all different kind of backgrounds using plain english um and really just trying to make it much more of a user-friendly kind of experience for the applicant but also sort of and they, they work in a way as well where they sort of help um and, and you know help educate i guess uh, employers about how they might want to do things differently on that front in the future in, in general terms really um, across the board so that that was a very specific kind of thing that they're not a national it's not a national thing it's kind of sometimes these things crop up where they, <laughs> they obviously saw a, a gap in the market and uh, and went for it um the other thing though i would say is that i um facilitated a group a discussion group of young people in a community just outside of london um a couple of years ago again on one of these um very similar program to the to the one i've just mentioned and one of the discussions came up about but just what quick step back this program was across a county as i say just to just the west side of london where literally everybody who was involved sort of from schools colleges uh private sector um training providers non-profit organizations that can be very good particularly from a value for money perspective but also very good in terms of nurturing long-term relationships with local communities if you like everybody was involved in this kind of partnership it was a very complicated partnership but um and there was some money that was put into if you like providing a, a no wrong door approach to for young people to find and gain access to work so it included everybody that you could think of and i spoke to this group and one of the guys there he said to me we we're just talking about like improvements to that kind of system because a lot of that was it was a mixture of online and in-person support but he said um what he said was that you know he said if i'm looking for a job i'll just go on i don't know if you you guys use this but we have uh, we use um things like indeed which is a, is a jobs website there's various jobs websites out there aren't there it's one of the big ones here and he says so if i'm looking for work i'll just go on that and if you can so the point that um Curran was making with tiktok or snapchat but again kind of like thinking of the places that young people go for a variety of reasons but if it's linked to the world of work so much the better and if you can then kind of so, so we, we kind of like wanted to tailor that program, if you like, so it was linked more heavily to job 
portal um, websites, you know, where, where job vacancies were. It was something that they really hadn't thought about before. Um, again, it's just like another avenue to explore. And I think, but it kind of like puts it back in terms of, you know, putting yourself in the mindset of the person who's looking for work rather than what often take happens, which is we've got some money to do something and we set up a system, as I say, with, uh, you know, regular meetings and we have this partnership and that's all great and does stuff. But I think sometimes the relationship needs to be um, flipped a bit more to what does the, uh, how are people going to look for that kind of information? What is it they might want? Where would they go? How can we best support them? Um, and look at their sort of personal needs and tailor things in a much more bespoke way than perhaps programs have done in the past. Yes, amazing, Adam. Thank you. Now, it's 10.53, Adam. I know we've only got another second. Don't mind. And again, Karim, thanks for that question. It was really juicy. It really brought up some really great uh, discussion. Uh, but Adam, because uh, I know we're going to close out the room soon, I want to end uh, with a final question, which is, um, really, what thoughts, key takeaway points should we be emphasizing? Because we emphasizing because we've had folks come in the chat halfway through. Of course, people will be listening to this on the replay. But I just want to make sure before they leave their this event or this call or this podcast, what are key takeaways that you really want them to understand about how, what you're doing in the UK that we could use over here in North America? That's great. Okay, Bob. Well, I would say I'm kind of like. I've got two or three things in mind, really. I think um, just trying to sort of, I'm not going to summarize everything we've obviously sort of gone through, but I think there's two or three things that are issues to, to sort of think about more or perhaps to sort of push it, to push further forward in terms of what could be done. I would say, you know, if, if I was working at a local kind of level, I have responsibility for economic development in, dare I say, coming back to Laura's point, Salt Lake City, um, for instance, I, I'd be looking at, I think one of the things that, that needs to be done, and I'm sure this takes place, I, I appreciate there are things like workforce development boards, there is um, economic development is taking place at a, at a whole range of levels. I think linking, if you like, the supply and the demand side of the economic development equation sort of the, the labor market with employers needs is something um as i say you know i think we've got a lot better at um in recent years but i think there's a, there's always more that you can do but i think to come up with a plan you really need to know you know what's on your doorstep so what are the key sectors um what's your local labor market like what are the skill sets um you know perhaps doing some kind of audit of the the array of providers that are there um, in terms of supporting um, the education system, the skills development side of things. But I think importantly uh, is building up relationships. I, I would say this is probably one of the most important things really, building up um, those kind of relationships with your local employers um, as best you can. And that may take time, um, but I think that will pay dividends because as well as getting really good intelligence uh, from you know, looking at employers' needs. If, if somebody says, right, what are, what are the skills needs of my local community for the next two to five years? If I wanted to come up with a plan of action for that, as well as looking at all the, if you like, the secondary data sets um, and everything that tells me, I think I'd pretty much also want to go to a number of 
key employers to find out exactly what they're planning. And obviously, as, as, as we've very recently seen, all the, the best made plans in the world can be jettisoned um, quite quickly, can't they? But so I think trying to make long-term plans is very difficult. But I think if you want to get a feel for what the skills, the recruitment, the labor market kind of needs of your local employers is going to be, there's no better way than, you know, literally making those brokering those relationships, building some kind of rapport with them. And I think also then that can help shape, you know, sort of future policy in the local area. And if they've got a kind of a say and a stake in kind of the, um, you know, how, how do we best sort of push forward with workforce development strategies in the local area? And they're around that table having a say and being useful to it, and they may get some benefit from it too, then so much the better. I think the other thing is also... It's trying to involve all the, the partners um, as best you can. I haven't really touched on them today. It hasn't really been time. But as I say, the role, I would not underestimate the role of the non-profit sector in this. And they can play a really strong role. And they do over here in terms of, and they, sometimes they can be quite niche. There can be some sort of specialist groups at a geographical level, or a thematic kind of levels, topic issue-based kind of groups that are out there that are probably surviving year by year with some fundraising and all the rest of it. But they can be really good in terms of bringing something to the table from the point of view that they've probably already got some good relationships in place with members of the local community. They're working at a grassroots level, so they have a feel for what's going on. Um, and also mm -hmm. they can, as I say, sort of play that role in terms of some, I've seen quite a lot of groups over here that are very good in terms of building confidence, building self-esteem, as well as some skills development activity that they deliver. And um, on a unit cost basis, um, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Sort of non-profit sector um, and sort of cost and so on, but they, they can deliver quite a lot for perhaps small amounts of money. Um, that wouldn't take place prior to, prior to the public sector. So I think a full partnership approach, and also the what the big question mark I would have in my mind, obviously, is that in the US and Canada, funding the funding kind of landscape is going to be quite different to over here. And it can obviously vary, can't it, by, by state by state. So, but whatever kind of resources can be brought to bear on the issue, obviously they need to be identified, of course. But I think if that, whatever pool of resources can be brought to the table i think if that can be used in a flexible kind of way to address the needs that you've identified with your plan then so much the better thank you adam thank you that's a really really succinct summary and that's super helpful we appreciate it and of course we always appreciate our audience joining us for this amazingly knowledgeable talk thank you before we go lara we've got a session tomorrow don't we on supply chain as well yes uh, tomorrow we are back with the second installment of our three-part series on um, supply chains. And then next Wednesday, we are going to be talking about cash for remote workers at noon on Wednesday the 21st. We have um, David Leeser joining us from Wichita Falls, Texas, and Barbara Coffey joining us from the city of Tucson. Both have created cash for remote workers programs and are going to be sharing their experiences with the development and execution of those programs. So it should be a great conversation as well. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Lara. And Adam, once again, thank you so much for contributing your knowledge and time. I know uh, on the back end, we've talked about how do we make it this sort of a regular series or a regular room where we, we can continue to learn 
what you're doing over there in the UK and, and vice versa. Hopefully we're doing things here in North America that can benefit you guys there. But nonetheless, thank you so much for contributing your knowledge today. Bob, thank, thank you and to Lara and Dan for inviting me to this. It's been a pleasure. I hope, I hope that those who've, <laughs> who've attended have got something from it. I, just really to say, if there are any questions, if anyone wants to know any further details, well, reach out to me in whatever way you wish to, but I'm sure it'd be, if that's okay with you, Bob, Dan, Lara, that they come to you perhaps and uh, pass them on to me. Sure, great. And Dan, did you want to add something before we leave? I just wanted to thank Adam for sharing, and I really enjoyed the... Uh, the talk and the summary was quite succinct. So uh, I'm looking forward to <laughs> pushing the podcast out and, and sharing some some thoughts on social media uh, over the next few days. Thanks so much, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. And of course, thanks to our audience, Ebony, Harumi, and Brittany, for the whole event. We always appreciate it. So with that, I'm going to end the room in five seconds. Bye, guys. Bye.